Well, Happy New Year still. I don't know how many of you guys were able to make it on January 1. We were here on January 1 as well with a, a solid group of people who all went to bed at 9 p.m. the night before. But here we are on January 8th, and we're beginning a new series, and um, it's called Markers. It, we, uh, I want to tell you a quick story of, a, um, uh, of a, uh, the hardest thing I ever did with all of the outdoor adventure stuff that I've done, and I'm not a hardcore outdoor guy or hardcore athlete necessarily, but I've done a lot of fun things. And the hardest thing that I can remember doing just physically and uh, uh, it really even psychologically for me was I climbed one of the 14,000-foot peaks in Colorado, uh, Long's Peak, which is outside of Estes Park in the, in the National Park. And uh, what was so incredible about it, well, if I made a crazy mistake, and that mistake was I climbed it with two 21-year-olds. That was the first mistake. And uh, they had been camping at high altitude. They'd been in the Grand Tetons and, and, uh, for a couple of weeks, and then they came down to climb Long's Peak. So that was my dumb move is to go with those guys. At one point, and this is a photo of it, at one point, and, and this is about 12,400 feet, the, the uh, Long's Peak is 14,100, at about 12,000 feet, I don't think I'd ever even climbed to 12,000 feet before, and I realized, wow, there's no oxygen up here. That was one thing, but, but when I got to this place, it's called the Boulder Field when you climb this peak, and you can see way up in the distance, you see a, a thing that's called the keyhole. Do you see that? In fact, the next picture will show you more of a, and it'll show you the size of the boulders. Those are people. You see that keyhole? And those boulders, now back all the way out again, you, uh, that's the boulder field. Now, you've already been climbing for hours and hours and hours. The sun's come up, and uh, you're having to make your way across this boulder field. And part of what was so darn difficult about this hike was when you got to this place, you thought, how am I going to get across these giant boulders? Some of them were the size of Volkswagens, and most of them were the size of, of a human or at least a small human. And so you were over the, it was crazy. What you don't see in this picture, and then you still can't see in this picture, but as you, as you went into the boulder field, you got just to the edge of the boulder field, and you stood there looking at this, just, and you're already exhausted, and you, you're just like, how am I going to navigate this? You see ahead of you, any of you hikers, you see ahead of you a cairn. Do you know what a cairn is? A cairn is a pile of stones that people have stacked up to say, here's the way through this field. Here's the marker so that you know where to go. And if you would stand at the, then stop for just a minute, you'd look ahead and you'd go, okay, I see it. And apparently, people that have gone this way have said, from here to here, this is the best way. And then you get over to that place over there and you look at this boulder field and you're overwhelmed by how am I going to navigate this? And then you can see the next one. Somebody piled up the stones in a cairn and said, go from here to here. And the next one, and the next one, and the next one, until you're able to navigate through that keyhole, and then you go back up the backside of the mountain and up to the summit. It was the hardest thing I've ever done because it was so incredibly difficult. It was you know, hours and hours and hours and 17-mile round trip and, and just exhausting. But this field for me is a, 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 a symbol of that idea of how do we make our way forward in our journey with Christ when the way forward looks almost sometimes insurmountable and certainly not clear. The series is called Markers, The Well-Worn Path Toward Christ. Um, I love the graphic that Sarah put together for us. It's the, it's the, uh, the trail and the mark post, the signposts. And really what it's going to be about, friends, and I'm just doing an introduction for you today as we come to the table of the Lord uh, this morning. We have a difficult task of being Christians, being Christ ones, being Christ followers. That's what Christian means. They're Christ ones. They're Christ people. We have a difficult job in front of us to navigate how we go forward. Every generation, every area has these questions about how do I live it out? How do we know God's will? How do we follow God's will? How do we move toward Christ? How do we move toward maturity? These are imperative questions. 
And how do I orient myself as I look through the landscape of what's ahead in life and culture and, and the next political season? And if I navigate, how do I navigate my way through this? And the idea of this series is that the path towards spiritual life and health as we look sort of forward in our lives is going to be found in being followers of Christ and there's going to be markers along the way to let us know that we're on the right track. And what are those markers? That each of us can learn to say, okay, I think I'm on the right track. I see it. I'm headed that direction. And when we were sitting around brainstorming about this, it was sort of like we came across this idea where we said, you know what? This is what it's out. If we wanted to explain to somebody across the table at coffee, we'd go, hey, friends, we're going to talk about what Christians do. This is how you know you're on the journey with Jesus. This is how you do it. This is the markers that on the way will tell you, okay, this marks a, a believer in Christ who's trying to follow him. This marks a believer in Christ. This marks a believer in Christ. And so we're going to study Jesus's life and his teaching, and we're going to find out what some of those markers are, and then we're going to, so that we have a better aim with our whole heart and our soul and our mind and our strength toward being his faithful disciples. You're like, well, what kind of markers are we talking about? Well, we're going to get to them next week, but it's things like humility and forgiveness and kindness and generosity, and purity, and self-denial. Oh, that's a good one. You want to be at that one? These are things that Jesus' people have done forever. They're ways through the boulder field. Whatever boulder field we're in, in this generation, in this time, and in this county, and in this culture, they're markers through the field. How do I know I'm on the right track? And how am I aiming? These are what those are. are. They're markers. And so today's title, just in, in the few minutes that I have left over, is this idea of the ancient path. This is the title of today's sermon, is The Ancient Path, because there's many details that are super vexing and challenging in every generation. Every generation is different about, every boulder field is different. And we're always like, well, how do I get through this one? Well, how do I get through this one? And some of you have walked through many generations and seasons and cultural feelings. Some of you have lived in the South, and some of you lived in Europe, and some of you were born in another country, and, and some of you have been Christians for decades, and so you know what I'm talking about. Every boulder field is different. Some of you had little kids, and then you had grade school kids, and some of you were single, and some of you were married, and I mean, there's different fields. And so it's so challenging in each generation of time, each one of our seasons of life to figure out how we go forward. And I mean, just by example, you think about how technology has changed the way we live today and how do we navigate that journey with Jesus, right? But the path of godliness, spiritual health and life, it's actually a well-worn path. That's part of the series title is The Well-Worn Path Toward Christ. And I think I might even change it this week, but I think it's more like The Well-Worn Path Toward a Life in Christ, which is part of our vision statement. What I want to say is it's an ancient path. It's a well-worn path. And we're like, oh, it's so vexing to figure out how I go forward. It is true that the last generation didn't have mass media on their personal devices, didn't have social media the way that we have them, didn't have the... the, the, um, the so many, they didn't have the cultural morality that we have now. There are so many things that are different, but that path is actually a well-worn path that has been traveled over the generations. And so we can look back and go, this is what Christians have always done. They've always done this. So as crazy as this world gets, as, as boulder-strewn your uh, next season looks, this is what Christians have always done. Let's aim toward those markers and make our way. It's an ancient 
path. And that ancient path word is actually from the scriptures. I'm going to get there in just a second. Here's, a, here's an illustration. I want to go back to the idea of carns. Here's a picture of a carn. It, it is what it looks like on a trail. And, you, and it's this big giant thing. So you can see that when you, it's from a distance, whether there's all kinds of, of bad weather or fog or rain or whatever, you can see these, these carns. And, and this is what a carn looks like. Let me read you about this description of it. These piles are visible even to the worst, in the worst conditions, helping the hiker find his or her way. And if you add a rock to the top of the carn, then as you go by, then that explains their enormous and growing size. Now listen, the effort involved in creating a large carn should provide some confidence that you're on the right path, on a well-traveled path. This is a great illustration of making our way down the journey is that there are markers along the way that people have said, hey, listen, I went through this direction. This is the right way. Aim for the next one of these. It's an ancient path that people have been living this way forever. And they're like, do this, Christians. Do this. And their sheer size tell you as a hiker, okay, I think I'm on the right path. People have gone before me. Here it is. Does that resonate with you guys that hike? You see that stuff? Now, I also looked up on the internet, I go, what's the difference between that and a duck? Those of you that are hikers are like, I thought they were called ducks. Here's what a duck looks like on the trail. Have you seen one of these before? It's just a little bit, it's supposed to look, you know, if you put a third one on, they look like little ducks and maybe that's how they got their name. But these are, you see these all over the Sierras. The interesting thing about ducks is that they're everywhere. Why? Because they're super easy to build. In fact, the description of it on wildernesstraining.com, it says this, the upside of ducks is that they're very easy to construct. The downside of ducks is that they're very easy to construct and where, you, and, and where, and where uh, you're likely to find many of them because of that. Because so little effort is involved in creating a duck and because lost people seem to love to make them, they may not provide you a desired level of confidence. <laughs> There's all kinds of lost people in the world going, I don't know, but let me build a little, like here, look, here we are. There's a quote of one of these people who said, you know, I've never been lost, but one time I was really turned around for about three weeks in the mountains. Like, and if you see these all over the place, there are people who go, well, why don't we just go this way? The difference between that and a carn. The carn is the ancient path, friends, that I'm trying to, to get us to think about. It's the way that people have traveled for generations, and that helps us know that we're on the right direction. Now, I want to look at a scripture from Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and then look at a scripture from the New Testament before we wrap up today around this idea. The scripture from Jeremiah is the scripture that uses the word ancient path. Well, let's read it first. Uh, God's speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. This is about 600 years before Christ, okay? And one of God's phrases, Jeremiah 6.16, says that this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said we won't walk in it. And it goes on to talk about other things. But this is what the Lord's saying to Jeremiah. What's the history of this? What's the context of this? The context of this, friends, is 600 years before Christ. He was living in Judah, which was a southern part of, of the kingdom of Israel. Now, you think about Israel. You think about the country that you know where it is now. It was divided. This time in history, it had been divided in two kingdoms. They'd had a falling out. There's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. A little history lesson for you. Everybody following? Go like this. I got it. I can follow that. 
Jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom in Judah. Jerusalem was the capital of Judah, so it was down, down in this area. And he was writing about 600 or so, but, what he, but what he, the context that he came into is that they had seen the northern kingdom get obliterated by the Assyrians, which was a, 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 a kingdom from the north that came in and wiped out and deported all kinds of people. And actually, those lost tribes of Israel, you may have heard of that, have been lost since because they, they're, they're essentially their northern kingdom was wiped out. And Jeremiah comes into a time where, and you could just leave that uh, other scripture up there because I'd like that one to be burned in us a little bit. And Jeremiah comes at a time where God's saying to, through the prophet to the people, listen, you saw your sisters and brothers in the north, they get wiped out because they weren't faithful to me. And so you be careful and you be faithful to me or the Babylonians, which is the new threat, are going to come and wipe you out. And so in anticipating that potentially this new enemy was going to come and overwhelm them, God's saying, listen, you have to follow me. This story in Jeremiah is a picture of how God has spoken to his people generation after generation after generation. I call this God's recurring message. It's God's recurring message in some form or another. And it's part, this idea has an ancient path built into it. Here's some aspects of this recurring message. And you see it in Jeremiah chapters one through six. The first thing is that in his messages, he's like, listen, my people, you have to stay faithful. And that's a carefully chosen word, faithful. You stay faithful you keep your faith in me, you stay loyal to me, you stay committed to me, my people have to stay faithful. And he goes for several chapters in the first couple of chapters of, of Jeremiah, and he's saying, you saw what Israel did, oh my gosh, they so did not, this northern kingdom did not stay faithful. They did not stay faithful at all. They had other idols, they had other gods, they wanted to follow other ways, they left the faith. They weren't careful to stay faithful to me. You think about the words of being, of having other idols. We read that in the Old Testament, it seems so odd. We're like, well, I don't have any other gods. I'm not changing my religion or something like that. But our lives are full of idols because our idols are the things in, that we put, in which we put our trust, in which we put our hope. Idols are the things where we say, and you know, I think I need, I think I need this. I'm going to go out and get it for myself with without any regard for whether or not the sovereign Lord of my life has that for me, has that for me now, wants me to go about it that way. Idols, we're full of idols, our lives are. And God's saying to his people, his recurring message has been, you stay faithful, you stay faithful, you stay faithful. And related to this is the, is the second part of that message. He's like, and learn from those who went the other way. Learn from those people who were not faithful, and, and, and this is what he's saying. Did you see what happened to the northern kingdom? Did you see what happened to Israel, Judah? Did you see what happened to those people? They were longing for life. They were longing for peace. They were longing for depth and rest and nourishment for their souls. They were longing for life at its fullest, but they weren't faithful to me to get it, and they ended up with exactly the opposite. This is a spiritual principle, friends, that is part of every Christian generation's journey that when we look for life outside of God's gifts and outside of God's ways, laws, and they'll tell you, you hear that all the time, they, they keep my laws and my commandments. 
When you look for life outside of God's ways, destruction comes and life and peace and rest and blessing that we're looking for, we get exactly the opposite when we're outside of God's plan. And God's message has always been, stay faithful to me and watch what happens to those people who don't do it. It's not what you want, is it? He says, do you see them? This is coming to you. It's a powerful message, this Jeremiah is. And then we get to verse 16, and this is the third part of God's recurring message. Find the tried and true way and walk in it. Find the tried and true way and walk in it. And you see that in verse 16. Look at again at verse 16. I'd love to just see that on the screen. You're standing at the crossroads and look. In other words, there's this, there's this place of having lost our way, not knowing which way to go, standing at the crossroads. You see the picture he's creating? When you stand at the crossroads, you're like, okay, here's a boulder field. This season of life, this culture, this time, how do I get from here to here as God's person? As God's man, as God's woman, how do I get from here to here? This is standing at the crossroads. He says, you stand at the crossroads, and embedded in this is this idea of, and admit that you don't know which way to go. That might be all the sermon any of you need to hear right now. Admit that you do not know how to navigate this field. The boulders are too big. You're already too exhausted. So stand at the crossroads. What does it say? And look and ask for the ancient paths. Isn't that interesting? Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. But he's relating it to the way that people have gone, the way that people have gone and built that car and said, go this way. This is what God's people have done. This is how God's people live. Stand at the crossroads and look for the way that it's always been done. Will you permit me that, that metaphor, that paraphrase? Stand on the ancient path and then look for the well-worn way, the way that many who have lived godly lives before us have gone. And you, it's funny because, man, I hope, this, I hope this enlightens you just a little bit. Somehow we've developed in our culture such a disdain for the things that are older and that are old-fashioned. And, and rightly so, because in some ways, rightly so, because there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, we, we've gotten smarter in a lot of ways as we've come along. And some of the ways, some of the things that were embedded in the culture we've improved upon, etc. But, but it's really interesting when you think about the fact that when there's something inside of us and we go, look, it, go back and go find the way that they used to do it. We go, well, I'd be old-fashioned. I hate that. What am I going to do that for? Well, that's going backwards. The past is obsolete. And we're so much smarter, meaning I'm so much smarter. And the way I think is just it. But he goes, stand at the crossroads, admit you don't know what to do, and then go find the ancient way because there's ways that God's people have always lived and it works. Isn't that wild? I was going to say something else about that and it was really good and I forgot what it was. Oh, it's a verse. You see this message in Scripture that God's always saying, why don't you go back to see what the generations have done? This isn't Deuteronomy. This is uh, uh, in the Song of Moses, um, Deuteronomy 32, at the end of his life. He's, Moses is telling people in his sort of his farewell speech before he dies, he says, remember the days of old. Consider the generations long past. Ask your father, he'll tell you. Is that the best? And your elders, and they'll explain it to you. He's like, listen, you've got to go back and look at the ancient path. You've got to see what people have always done. When you're lost and you're standing at the crossroads, you don't know what to do, go, go look for the signs. Go look for the markers of what people have always done. 
And I am well aware that half of us reading this are like, my dad was an idiot. And that might be true. And that might be part of why we have such disdain for the past because we came from dysfunctional families or we came from people who did not live wisely or well. And I get that. But in the purity of the vision, we go and see what the generations of people who have followed God have done. Find the tried and true way. True way is the third part of that message. And then walk in that. Walk in the way that other people have done. And this series is going to be about... What is some of the tried and true way? What is some of the ways that we've always walked as believers, as Christ's followers? These markers are going to kind of help us with that right path. And then the last phrase in the, in the, in the scriptures is the fourth point here. It's sort of God's recurring message. It is that he says, and then you'll find rest for your souls. Then you'll find rest for your souls. This was a little bit of a surprise to me. This came as a little bit of a surprise that rest is the promised result of this. Go back to verse 16 in the text. You'll see it. Ask where the good way is, walk in it, and you're going to find rest for your souls. See, that's what all this searching is about. It's about our souls living the way they were designed to live. It's it's about our souls finding satisfaction and rest and peace and healing. It's about being all that we were created to be. Rest for our souls. And rest is such a good way to describe it because, come on, you know this, friends. Trying to figure out how to live faithfully and trying to manage the boulders, large and medium and small, is tiring. Trying to live for Christ and manage your life and to navigate this culture and this time and this season is tiring. It's exhausting. And the promise of God's recurring message as you see it even here in this Jeremiah 6.16 is, you go find the way they've always done it and you walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Because navigating life is tiring and basically trying to, and let me say this, trying to figure out how to live while being unfaithful is annihilating it so tiring. And he says, now come and walk in this way. Ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody, that phrase? You will find rest for your souls is one of the most quoted statements of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. Jesus was quoting Jeremiah 616, when he said this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus quoted Jeremiah here. As always, Jesus... comes in as the ultimate answer. If God's recurring message is stay faithful and look what happens when you're not, it's destruction. And ask how it's always been done and walk that way. You'll find rest for your souls. Jesus goes, that's me. You come follow me and we'll follow these markers together and you'll have rest. Because that's what we need 
is rest for our souls. As always, Jesus becomes the ultimate answer. Walking with him, following him, becoming like him, it's the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. It's the tried and true way, friends. And if you just look for a moment at each of the phrases in this text in Matthew 11, come to me, he says, come to me. There's a relationship. There's a walking with Jesus as we pursue this path, this journey. All you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Weary because of heavy toil is what it means. They've been working at trying to solve life. And Jesus says, you're weary, you come to me. And burdened, burdened under the weight that we cannot bear ourselves. That's just so descriptive of our life, of our trying to figure out the boulder fields. He gives rest from it all. He says, take my yoke upon you. So let me not pull a bait and switch on you. This series is going to be talking about being sold out, lifelong, fully devoted followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. You're going to work with me. You're going to be about my purposes is probably a better word. And you will submit to me and the things that we are going to do in the world. Our lives are to be submitted to the purposes of Jesus. He says, take my yoke upon you. And he goes on to talk about this yoke. He says, you're going to learn from me what's true, basically. But look at his yoke. It's gentle. He's humble in heart. He doesn't have any weird dysfunctional agendas on us. And we're going to, in that work, find rest for our souls. His yoke is easy. It's well-fitting. His burden is light because when we are weak, we are strong because his spirit is his strength within us. I mean, this is the good news all in one big verse here. The sum of the whole thing is this well-worn path towards, towards soul rest. This good way, as, as Jeremiah 6, 16 talked about. This, this way of walking, this spiritual life and health, it's found in following Jesus. And along the way, there are going to be markers to let us know that we're on the right path and we're aimed in the right direction. And we're going to study what some of those markers are over the next few weeks. So as I conclude, listen, this is, I want to leave you with this challenge. It's really, it's even a warning from Jeremiah 6.16. Look at the last phrase in it. The end of the verse said, after he says, listen, you stand at the crossroads, admit you don't know where to go. Ask for the way it's always been done. Find that right way and go walk in it. You're going to find rest there. Look at the last line. They've seen the northern kingdom get obliterated for not being faithful. They hear the prophets speaking to them, go walk this way. And they wanted none of it. We want, but you said we will not walk in it. Why not? Why not? Why wouldn't they walk in it? I think there's probably lots of reasons, right? Fear, doubt, the pressure of the culture around them, and nobody else was walking in it that way. Maybe they thought the ancient paths were obsolete. Why would I want to walk in the old ways? This is a new way. This is a new day. But there are at least two other key reasons why they wouldn't have any of it that really applies to us. One, I think they weren't willing to admit they were lost. They weren't willing to admit they didn't know which way to go. They weren't willing to admit they were lost or weary. They didn't, weren't ready to say, oh, dear God, I'm so desperate for you. 
That is good old-fashioned pride. When we come as worshiping people and we confess our desperate need for Jesus, there's something still a check in us that we don't, want to, we don't want to be outed as somebody who doesn't know which way to go, somebody who's so weary and burdened that we're desperate for God. Pride will destroy the whole thing. They didn't want to walk in the ancient way because they didn't want to admit they were so needy. Will you admit that as we go through this journey? That he's our answer. He's all that we need. And his way is life. And secondly, the reason I don't think they would walk in it, not just that pride, but they were also not willing to die to themselves. That's the ancient way. That's the way that sounds so anachronistic to us. Die to yourself. Die to your pride. That we would literally give up our self-rule, self-directed, self-centered, self-governed life to the Lord Jesus. That sounds old-fashioned, even as I say it out loud. That's the ancient way. That's the markers along the way are all versions of submitting to his lordship and dying to myself. They weren't willing to give control of their lives to the Lord. Will you be willing?